Who writes this crap? Uh, did I just say that out loud? Oh, hi there. You're listening to the Mars Attacks Podcast with Victor. Hey, this is Chuck Billy from Testament right here on Mars Attacks. Hey, this is Tim Ripper Owens. This is Bobby Blissom Overkill. You stay tuned. Hey, this is Ron Bumble for Fall of Guns N' Roses, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, this is Dave Windor from Monster Magnet. Hello, everybody. This is Michael Kiske talking. Hey, this is Richard Patrick from Filter. Hey, everybody, what's happening? This is John Bush, and you're cranking it up on Mars Attacks. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Don Jameson from That Metal Show on DH1 Classic. Hey, everybody, this is your big daddy o Gene Hoagland. Hey, this is Kurt Weinstein from Crowbar. Hey, never hit some hits, I know. This is Dolo Cash. I'm a Scarlet Peace, and you're listening to Mars Attack. Yow! Hi, yeah, okay. So, hey, this is Paul Shortino. How you doing? Formerly of Rough Cut, Quiet Riot, and currently with King Cobra. You're listening to Mars Attack. <laughs> this is Vinny Apsey from Kill Devil Hill, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Hey, this is Richard Christie from the band Charred Walls of the Damned on Metal Blade Records. And you are listening to Mars Attack. Yeah, this is John Schaefer from Iced Earth, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. to the Mars Attacks Podcast. Here's your host, Victor. Come get your rocks off. Welcome, one and all, to episode 72 of the Mars Attacks Podcast. I'm your host, Victor. Kicking things off there, a little kiss Covering the Rolling Stones with Ace Freely on lead vocals. That is 2000 Man. And this episode will be sort of the final push for us to help Mitch LaFon and his pledge campaign over on Pledge Music. If you haven't gone ahead and pledged, please do so. There are only a few more days left. It's almost at 100% at this point. Hopefully, some of my listeners can help 
give it that last final push to get them over the hump and to make sure that this album comes out and helps fund, you know, a really good cause. So uh, please do what you can and help things out. And um, what we have with this episode, and you know, as the old cliche goes, things happen for a reason. This episode was recorded, or this interview, this discussion between Mitch and myself was done back in the fall, before Monster even came out. So we referenced Monster uh, coming out. Actually, this was done the day that Monster first came out, because we we actually discussed that during the interview. Um, I don't remember if it was off the air or if it was one of the things that we discussed while I was editing the the interview. Anyway, so essentially what this episode is all about, and this is sort of why it's a shame that the interview, or the interview, excuse me, the internet sort of gives things away in the sense that, you know, you have to post what the topic is about, who's on, what, so on and so forth, you know, because if not, nobody's going to listen. That's one of the things with the internet is you really don't have any more surprises. Um, on the flip side, without the internet, I wouldn't be doing this. So you win some, you lose some, you know. Um, anyway, but this episode is going to be Kiss Covers. Now, Mitch's Pledge Campaign has a lot of great artists covering KISS. Well, this episode is all about songs that KISS covered. For example, 2000 Man by the Rolling Stones. KISS has covered a lot of songs over the years that probably a lot of people that, unless they're really diehards, don't know. And even those that are diehards, some of you won't even realize that some of these tracks are are cover tunes. So let's do this. Let's play some of the more obvious cover tunes that a lot of you already know. Um, And what we'll do is we'll play a few songs here before jumping on into the interview. Let's start things off. This is a song that the Ramones did. This came out on a Ramones tribute album. It is Do You Remember Rock and Roll Radio?
that originally appeared on We're a Happy Family, a tribute to the Ramones. A tribute album that was put together by Rob Zombie. Um, I believe it was a, around the turn of the century, around 2000, uh, CD that I picked up before 03, which is when I moved overseas. So, anyway, want to get to some fan input, or some listener input, I should say. Not that we have any fans, I'd say we have listeners. So, And if you do want to um, let your comments be known, either leave your comments right there on the website, or you could write into the show by sending an email to input at marsattacksradio.com. Remember that we also have the Facebook available, which is facebook forward slash Mars Attacks Radio. We also have the Twitter, which is Mars Aries 2005. We have a Google Plus account as well. Heard somebody or read something online uh, saying that it was the social network that everyone had and nobody used. But hey, we're on there anyway, just in case. You never know. You can go to the homepage of MarsAttacksRadio.com and find out all the various links that are associated to all the various social networks that we're on. Anyway, Alex wrote this in, and I want to thank Alex for sending in his input. We welcome any input, good, bad, or indifferent. We had the good old golf clap <laughs> a few episodes ago, episode 69, which also had Mitch. That was uh, the episode where we discussed his pledge campaign. We're up to episode 72, so this is three episodes ago. Anyway, Alex writes in and said, says, love the episode you did with Mitch. Great cause. I will definitely be pledging. Love listening to you talk about Kiss with Mitch. Look forward to hearing the two of you again. Well, here you go. You're going to have about an hour's worth of us talking about Kiss. Uh, Before jumping on that, here's another sort of obvious cover tune that Kiss did. This actually comes off of the Ace Freely solo album. A lot of people don't realize that this is a cover. Uh, This is sort of one of the more popular Kiss tracks. At least you'll see that I mentioned this during the interview. It's used on a lot of different movies or shows when you're talking about New York or even sporting events. For those of you that know Kiss, for those of you that know Ace, I've already given this song away. It is New York Groove. This was originally done by a group called Hello. Let's get into that track now. Oh 
So we had 2,000 man, and now New York Groove. Ace is definitely not a stranger to doing covers uh, during his solo career. He's covered Kiss, something we touch upon. He's covered The Move. He's covered um, Fox on the Run. Uh, Sweet, excuse me. And Sweet sort of returned the favor and did New York Groove, which although it isn't an Ace track originally... Everyone knows it as an ace track. Uh, You'll hear us discuss kissifying songs so that there are tracks that are made, you know, to sound like the band. This holds true for the stuff that Ace touches. I think pretty much all of it, he puts his own spin on it to make it sound like a uh, ace song. For better or for worse, there are some of them that I absolutely love. There are others, personally... I could have done without Fox on the Run. I, you know, after hearing him do "Do Ya" on "Trouble Walking," it's almost like "Do Ya One" and "Do Ya Two. It's they they sound too much alike in my opinion. But hey, you know, as they say, variety is the spice of life. So there you go. Um, let's get things going here. We are going to play one more song. A song off of a soundtrack. It is the only song that Kiss has recorded twice. And what we'll do is we'll play this song, which features both um, Gene and Paul singing, but it also features two Eric singing and a Bruce singing. It's quite possible that Jamie St. James sings on this as well, and possibly even Tommy Thayer. So a lot of people with Kiss Connections are involved in this song. It originally came off of the Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, which is originally called Bill and Ted Go to Hell. It's supposed to have a third Bill and Ted movie coming out at some point. We'll see if that ever happens or not. Um, in any event, this is also a cover. It was originally done by Argent. All these Russ Ballard connections, because Russ Ballard was an Argent, And he wrote New York Groove. Um, Anyway, this is God Gave Rock and Roll to You 2. And after that, we're going to jump into the interview with Mitch LaFon.
We're, we're back with uh, Mitch LaFon here of Pure Grain Audio and uh, formerly of Brave Words, right? Mm -hmm, correct. And we're going to be discussing songs Kiss has covered. A lot of people talk about um, Kiss songs that have been covered by other bands. Well, these are songs that Kiss has actually released on an album or compilation um, or even there's a track here that appears on their box set. So we're going to sort of hunt these down and, and discuss the original a, a bit and talk about the Kiss version. So um, going more or less in chronological order on the first Kiss album, we had Kissing Time, which was originally done by Bobby Rydell. And then uh, if I remember the story correctly, this was brought to them sort of last second to sort of fill the album out. Yeah. Um, in fact, uh, as far as I remember, no, wait, was it Love Theme from Kiss? One of the, I think Kissing Time wasn't on the original printing, and then they were going to hold some kind of kiss-off contest somewhere in the States, and the record company thought it would be a good idea to have them cover this song and go back to it, right? Right, yeah. So that's that's how that one came about. Listen, it's a, it's, it's a good song. It's... Um, I think in in retrospect, it probably doesn't fit well on uh, on the Kiss album, right? But uh, you know, it's it's certainly fun to have. I think uh, I think they did a good version of it. But when you put it up against songs like Strutter and Deuce, <laughs> eh, maybe not maybe not its place. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think they don't stray that far from the original. I know that they tweak some of the lyrics. Um, but outside of that, as you're saying, you know, you're going from the bombast of Deuce, for example, and you have this like sort of happy-go-lucky song just sort of thrown in there. It sort of throws you a curveball. It's not that it's a bad song, but you know, you're you're almost like wanting something that ended up on Hotter Than Hell to have taken its place on the album. Yeah, exactly. And plus, I think if uh... If it had come out on the Kiss box set all those years later, we would all have been saying, oh, why didn't they release this back? <laughs> so, you know, you sort of those, you, you, you do and you damned if you don't, but uh, yeah, it turned out good. It turned out good. Yeah, absolutely, and you're 100% right. No matter what, there's always going to be a group of people that aren't going to be happy, so. <laughs> I know. I've heard the talk of the new Monster album. Some love it and some think it's horrible. I'm in the love it camp. And and the funny thing is, is that unless you're in Europe, it hasn't officially been released. So I'm sure that a lot of the people that don't love it uh, probably have only heard those 90-second snippets on iTunes and are just taking that, you know, as face value and uh, and sort of, you know, coming to their own conclusion just based off of 90 seconds as opposed to listening to something as a full composition in fact i'm i'm i'll go a step further and say some people didn't even bother with the 90 seconds they just like <laughs> going oh new kiss is dead and so be it you know yeah oh yeah the same shenanigans as usual but uh again you can't please everyone what's our what's our next the, the next track um comes off of destroyer a lot of people don't know that uh, this is actually a cover song because Kiss sort of made this song their own. Uh, it's King of the Nighttime World, which was originally done by uh, Kim Fowley and the Hollywood Stars. Yeah, a great song. And listen, 
I'm one of those who, up until uh, literally a few years ago, I always thought it was a Kiss song. And I was uh, uh, punching around YouTube, and all of a sudden, because, you know, Kiss had done uh, King of the Nighttime World in Montreal unexpectedly in 2009, and I'm punching around looking for a live version of it, and then I see this Kim Fowley thing, and I go, well, wait a minute, Destroyer didn't come out in 1973, so how come this song exists from 1973? <laughs> right. And, uh, yeah, you know what? I got to say that... Kiss really improved this one. You know, a lot of people forget, for example, with the Beatles, that Twist and Shout was not a Beatles song, but they did it so well that it's their song. And I think right. I think King of the Nighttime World, you know, God bless Kim Fowley, but his song is more laid back, more, hey, man, how's it going? And and Kiss really just put the pedal to the metal on it, and, and it it's a great rock song. And, uh, you know, good job to Kiss. Yeah, would have to agree a hundred percent. The uh, that's the perfect analogy. The the Kim Fowley track is so like laid back, uh, California. You know, uh, lying lying in the sunshine on the beach and sort of taking everything in, as opposed to you know the the, the full on you know hard rocker that Kiss turned it into. And again, I I believe that this track. Um, they did modify some of the lyrics to sort of fit Kiss better uh, than than the original, which again going sorry. No, I was gonna say going back to the Bobby Rydell, it was the same thing, and it's sort of a um, something that they've continued to do along the years as well. Right, I was gonna say that as you get to God gave rock and roll to you and some of these other tracks, Kiss has always and the word they've they've said in in press all the time is we kissified it, we kissified it. So, yeah, they, they did that quite a bit. And what's interesting about King of the Nighttime World and the whole Destroyer album is that it's complete and total Bob Ezrin for you. He brought in Dick Wagner on guitar. He brought in Steve Hunter on guitar. He did all kinds of stuff. He brought in choirs and, of course, outside, outside songwriters. So, I mean, Kiss's greatest album ever was really the first album that had nothing to do with Kiss when you break it down. <laughs> Which is funny, right? Outside songs, right. all kinds of choirs, guitar players that aren't ace. I mean, you know, listen, Bob Ezrin took Kiss and turned him into a collective. Right. It's a commune of, of people. You know, uh, I, we, we did forget one song uh, in our uh, previous discussion or prior discussion that uh, we'll have to add in is Louie Louie by uh, um, the Kingsmen that they did during the unplugged uh, recording. Ah, okay. I was not uh, aware of that, actually. So, as I usually uh, bring up, uh, whenever you think you know as much as possible about KISS, there's always someone that knows a little more. <laughs> Go on, let's, let's hit that shot. Okay, next up, off of Love Gun, Then She Kissed Me. Yeah, by the Crystals. Um, you know, a lot of fans that I've spoken to absolutely hate that song they think it's it's wimpy and it's 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 girly and it's all these sort of effeminate kind of uh words that go with it i like it you know i think it's a good song i think it's cute and uh i remember listening to it in uh 77 or 78 when i was seven eight years old and i dug it and only sometime in the late 80s or early 90s that i ever found out it found out it was um cover and of course 
Once again, the lyrics were altered to suit Paul and the whole persona. Cute, right? Not essential, but it's a cute song. Right. And the funny thing is with kissifying these songs as well, uh, it's sort of a smart move because that means that they also get songwriting credits. So that means that they're not turning over all the royalties for these tracks as well. Uh, you you understand the the kiss business ethos. Yeah, <laughs> uh, they're a smart bunch. Yeah, not one of my favorite covers uh, by them, it, but it is everything that you said. It's, you know, a cute little pop song. And uh, it's funny, when Twisted Sister released Leader of the Pack, to me it always sounded as if they had been listening to, you know, this song all weekend, and D showed up on Monday and said, you know what, we got to do Leader of the Pack, just like Kiss did, then she kissed me. Yeah, yeah and I think... Uh... I think uh, the marketing uh, folks at the record company tried to position both bands with this kind of softer song where you take this dirty, heavy metal band and turn it into a teeny bopper girl band. With Kiss, I'm not sure if it worked, but it didn't hurt the band. With Twisted Sister, completely alienated the, the fan base. I mean, completely yeah. everybody up. I mean, Dee Snyder, God bless him. It was never going to be on somebody's wall on a poster. I mean, he's... He's he's a great guy, but you know he ain't Brad Pitt. <laughs> I think he'll be the first person to admit that as well. <laughs> Not that I find Brad Pitt attractive, mind you, but you know. <laughs> I I understand the analogy. <laughs> um, next up, we're touching upon three of the uh, Kiss solo albums. We have obviously one of the biggest songs that Kiss has ever released was actually a cover, which is New York Groove, which was originally written by Russ Ballard, but done by the band Hello. Yeah, back back in 72. I mean, it, the song predates Kiss, quite frankly. And, um, you know, it's Aces, It's one of Ace's signature songs. When, when Kiss go on tour or when Kiss with Ace was going on tour, you would either hope to hear Shock Me or hope to hear New York Groove. And it turns out it's not his song, which which begs the question, if Tommy Thayer were ever to sing it live, could he be, uh, you know, could you hold it against him for covering Ace? Well, no, because he's not covering Ace. He'd be just doing a hello <laughs> cover. So it might be a smart way to, uh, to get people off of uh, Tommy's back when they want to throw in a sort of classic Spaceman song. Great song, though. I mean, undeniably fantastic. I was watching football last week, and uh, during commercial, New York group came on. Uh, you know, there was a it was the Jets or whatever, and uh, it, yeah, it's it represents Kiss. It even represents the city. Then it's the Kiss version that represents the city. So great. Yeah, and outside of sports teams, I mean, you see it with so many shows. Um, a show by the name of Suits comes to mind where. The commercials leading up to the debut of the first um, episode had New York Groove, and that first episode used New York Groove quite a bit within the first few minutes as well. So very emblematic of the city, and and yeah, very uh, very interesting. That's similar to King of the Nighttime World. I'm sure a good majority of the people don't realize that it's someone else's song, and. Um, uh, you may have touched on a good point there, you know, a way of, 
you know, Kiss sort of being smart about having Tommy do a, you know, a, a space a spaceman song. You have him do New York Groove, which technically wasn't an Ace song, although Ace sort of made it his own. But it doesn't shock me that Ace wrote, you know, so. I mean, you get Tommy to do Rocket Ride or Shock Me and people go, uh, yeah, you're copying Ace. But if he does New York Groove, he's like, well, no, I'm copying. Hello, I'm covering Russ Ballard, you know. <laughs> right. Get away with it. Better way to get away with it. Then what else do we have? We have from Peter's uh, solo album, we have one of, in my opinion, one of the only songs that I actually listened to today or, you know, in recent years off of that album, which is Tossing and Turning, which was originally done by Bobby Lee or Bobby Lewis, excuse me. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. That That's one of the better songs. Uh, from Peter's solo album, which a lot consider to be the weakest album of the four, um, and uh, that song, that song rocks. And and, and you know we're going to say this a lot tonight, but Peter made it his own. It, it he really his voice really works on that song. You know Peter, for example, could never sing Love Gun, but he hit this song perfectly. His voice was yeah. meant for that sort of swing sort of rock and roll old school rock and roll sort of slap bass kind of tune and done well and when he did it on the dynasty tour fantastic yeah and interestingly enough i was going to touch on that as well there's that uh old you know show that was supposedly shot for uh, hbo which never aired and was on the bootleg circuit for years and finally was released in kissology where you had everyone it was, and I skipped over the the city. It was Largo, Maryland, was where it was shot. You had everyone doing a track off of their solo album. Interestingly enough, this was the track that, as you mentioned, that they did from Peter's album. I, I would love to be a fly on the wall, you know, when those discussions um, came up with Peter, you know, maybe pitching one of the other songs and the other three members, you know, asking him, uh, you know, w w what he was taking to think that the rest of the band was going to want to cover, you know, some, some ballad or something that he had released on the album. I think, I think the discussion must've been pretty, uh, subdued because they had death back in the day in the set list. And I think Kiss would want to come out and rock, and so they probably had to go for the only rock song available to him. Yeah. Either that, or since it was the Dynasty tour, Peter could have done, um, you know, Dirty Living. But other than that, I mean, what else could you do from the Peter Chris album that would have fit in that rock show? I mean, you had Beth that was slow, so anything that was slow, which is pretty much the rest of the album, had to go. Yeah, there's really only one other track that isn't slow, and that's um, You're the Sugar uh, Papa Likes or something like that it was called. And that's more of a disco-type feel to it as well. So, I mean, within Dynasty, maybe it would have worked, but as you're saying, this is a much more hard-rocking tune. Right, yeah, you see? And, uh, yeah. The, the next track... The infamous track that uh, closes out the Gene Simmons solo album, which was originally done by Louis Armstrong, uh, synonymous with Disney movies, When You Wish Upon a Star, voted by a lot of various magazines and sites as one of the worst covers of all time. Yeah, well, 
I, I don't agree. Listen, it's it, it's tongue-in-cheek. It's a nice throwaway song. Um, it's interesting that Gene covered it, and I think it was important that Gene covered it because here was the persona of the demon, and if, if you remember the stage shed back in the days where he had the snake with the fire and he would, you know, and then he's doing this completely soft, Disney-esque song. I think it was brilliant back in the day. Now, once you decontextualize it and move it forward to 2012, you go, oh, what was he thinking? But if you put it in context of, here's this persona, and the solo album is supposed to sort of fight what the persona is or supposed to give you another side of who the artist is. Right. I think it was brilliant. I mean, listen... Gene is a is a longtime movie fan. I mean, mostly a horror movie and stuff like that. Always been into comic books. So here he's doing this sort of comic book Disney song, softening it up, going against the sort of blood spitting, fire breathing. I thought it was I thought it was well chosen. Would I put it in my top twenty favorite Kiss songs? No, but I don't think it was a mistake. I think it was cute. It was entertaining. You know, listen, it, it was what it was. And it's only two minutes long, so. Right. And if I remember the story correctly or remember reading it, apparently this was one of the first songs he heard uh, when coming to the U.S. Um, so as a result, it had a sentimental, you know, place for him. And he wanted to, you know, sort of um give the the type of message that you know when he came to America he realized that he could become something that he couldn't have you know where he had come from so there was sort of like a double meaning for him yeah so, so exactly so once you contextualize it it makes sense when you just look at it on the surface completely out of context historically or chronologically you go what the hell was he thinking but right in context Good song, good choice. Uh, you know, listen, it, it's nice. It, it's nice to have something different. Yeah, agreed. Uh, next, a track off of "Alive 2, uh, "Any Way You Want It," which was originally done by the Dave Clark Five. That's a great song. Kiss did a great version of that. I would love to see Kiss throw that into an encore uh, right now because. Um, Man, it's too bad that most of those songs have, in fact, have been, yeah, you know, All American Man has been played live once, but most of the songs on that sort of side four of Alive, too, completely ignored, and, and they really shouldn't be, because that's, they're, they're, those were fun songs. Were, yeah. You know, five really fun songs, and, and the, the cover was, was one of them. Yeah, uh, agreed, that fourth side uh of that album was you know those five songs are five tracks that i played to death as a kid and that i'll still go back to and listen all five of those songs are so different from one another and you know it sort of breaks things up from um from what was recorded live not to say that those tracks are bad or anything but it really did give you um something else to sort of aspire uh, to hear from the band. Uh, they went in another direction afterwards, but even still, you know, they put out five really good songs on that fourth side. Yeah, and, and completely ignored them in the live set. I mean, Kiss as a band has never done Rocket Ride, though Ace has. 
Um, what else was on there? They've never done. Um, what were the other five? Rockin' in the USA. Um, you had mentioned um, All American Man. The All American Man, they did. Remember back in 2004 or something like that? They had the vote for the songs you want to hear in concert, and then at one show they played All American Man. But uh, yeah, well, I'd love to see them throw those five in the mix. So let's move on to, uh, I guess we're over to Dynasty. Yep, absolutely. Uh, Dynasty having uh, 2000, 2000 Man, excuse me, which was originally done by the Rolling Stones. I love Ace's version. You know, it was so perfect because as we got to 1979, you know, having been around at that time, they, all this talk about the year 2000, how it was going to be, um, you know, the end of the world and we were all going to be living in on planet Mars and there was going to be all kinds of spaceships and all kinds, you know, cars would be flying in the air and, and uh, for A's to be the spaceman and sort of the technology guy, great choice for him. And um, I prefer his version to the Stones version, quite honestly. I think I can't think of anybody else's voice that I'd want to hear on that song but Ace's. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. Yeah, the um, the Stones track is a very poppy, sort of psychedelic, very weird. And, uh, of course, growing up a Kiss fan, I'd always heard the you know, uh, Ace Frehley track and didn't hear the Stones version until many years later. And hearing it, I was like, ah, you know, it's neat, but, you know, the Ace track has that, it, it, Ace gave it a big kick in the ass and made it, you know, again, made it his own and definitely made it one of the more iconic songs, um, you know, definitely off of Dynasty for, for the bad rap that people give Dynasty. Um, I think, again, this is a case where people focus on I Was Made For Loving You and sort of throw the rest of the album out. Well, 2000 and Man was the second song off of that album, and there are a lot of fairly strong songs off of that album if you, you know, uh, give them a shot. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I love I love that album. Yeah. It's brilliant. Absolutely, absolutely agree. Uh, next up, um, a person that you had interviewed who goes by a different name apparently, uh, the track is called Is That You? It's off of Unmasked. And originally, the guy that did it, he went by the name of Gerald McMahon. And you had mentioned that he goes under the name of Tom Mack now? He goes under the name of G. Tom Mack. Okay. But, uh, yeah, he's, you know, he, he, uh, he, he goes back and forth between Jared McCann and G. Tom Mack. But, yeah, he did... Uh, he did Is That You off of the uh, much maligned Unmasked album. Uh, you know, I, that was the album that I first interviewed Gene for. You know, that's when I was 10 years old, June 9th, 1980, went down and I interviewed Gene to talk about the release of Unmasked. And so that album has a great significance for me. Down, uh, down in the basement there, we have the stamped, promo vinyl that uh that says you know not for sale that gene gave us or gave right and it's autographed by gene and his old long form autograph that he used to do and so uh you know 
that song, Is That You? Always loved it. I've always, I've, I've always loved it. I guess I'm biased because I had an interview with Gene at the time, but <laughs> I'd like to see Paul, if he does another solo tour, bring it out. I mean, I know they did it a few times in Australia back in a 1980 tour. Right. It's it's a cute pop track. I mean, you know, it's it was exactly what Kiss was looking for. I mean, Unmasked was meant to be a very pop record trying to 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 ride the coattails of, of music that was becoming very sort of popish. You know, we had come out of the 70s and 60s where everything had a message and a message and a message and uh you know, I I like it. People are not going to agree with me on that one, but, you know, good song. Cute song. Not cute. Yeah, it's it's one of the stronger tracks off of Unmasked. And um, I would actually say that Unmasked is poppier than Dynasty was. So it's always funny when I hear people say, oh, well, you know, Dynasty just has that disco crap. Well, to me, Unmasked is a lot more sugar-coated than Dynasty is. Dynasty still has some hard-rocking tracks on there. Not that Unmasked doesn't. It's just produced and, you know, put out there, just as you said, to make it sound more as a pop-orientated album than than a rock album. Um, I've heard the live version uh, from what's supposed to be Ace's last show with the band from Auckland, New Zealand, and the track sounds really cool live. Um, yeah. The other, go ahead. I mean, it really does sound great live. And let's not forget, Unmasked was the album that you know Kiss had a hit with "I Was Made for Loving You," and then they said, "Oh, well, we we did one I Was Made for Loving You. Let's make you know ten I Was Made for Loving You's." And that was Unmasked, right? It was yeah. It was ten attempts at at copying "I Was Made for Loving You." Yeah. And um, you know, uh, I think uh, you, you take Is That You, you take Shandy, and you take Tomorrow from Unmasked, and you got three songs that deserve to, to still be played live at some point uh, these days in 2012 or 2013. I mean, at some point in some encore, you know, at the backwoods of wherever, <laughs> El Paso, Texas, they should play those songs. They really should. The cruise. I mean, I we keep talking about the cruise on Facebook. You know, that would be the perfect, uh, you know, place to whip out some of these songs. I mean, it isn't asking too much of the band to, you know, rehearse it and really make uh, make it so you know worth someone's while that they're paying you know over a grand to see them play the same old, same old. Well, whip out, you know something like Naked City or any of the tracks that you'd mentioned? What I would love to see with the cruise is um, that they do those songs. Because, you know, on the cruise they do sort of an acoustic set and they do a, a full makeup set and all that. Definitely pull out these crazy songs. Pull out Shandy. Pull out Is That You. Pull out, you know, whatever. And you've got the audience. You know the people on the boat are diehards. You know they're going to know the songs. And then just bloody well film it and sell it as a DVD. Sell it as an exclusive through the Kiss Online website, where you know if the if you're visiting Kiss Online, you're probably a fan and you'll probably pick up a sale. That would be the coolest thing they could do, I think. Yeah, I agree, one hundred percent. 
the last thing with regards to is that you listening back to the original demo it um begs it sort of begs for you to think uh was this track originally uh geared for peter to sing because the original vocals on the track uh sound a hell of a lot like the scratchy vocals that um that 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 peter was synonymous for so was this a track that you know they were going to throw at him and say hey peter we've got the perfect track for you uh because he was still officially part of the band at that point um and did they just end up figuring all right well let's just have paul cover it because you know it's a cool track or you know i don't know it just seems you know, again, with the demo that it was, you know, th that it was an imitation Peter singing it. You know, I, I never thought of that, but it would make sense. And I, lo I love to use the word contextually. I mean, Peter was struggling with drug addiction and, and, and all kinds of other personal problems. And, you know, Kiss always had at least one song for each band member on an album. So they might have said, listen, Peter, don't write anything because you, you can't right now, but we'll go find you a song. And then when, of course, Peter crapped out and couldn't make the sessions and, and couldn't play and, you know, the whole thing, they probably went, well, we've got this song. We might as well do it. We paid the stupid guy. I mean, we paid the guy for it. So, <laughs> right. Do it. I don't know. I never thought of that, but it, it could make sense. So well, maybe that that's uh, part of uh, future investigations. If you ever, if a ten-year-old Mitch could go back in time, maybe that would have been uh, one of the questions that Gene could have deflected and given you a long-winded answer about. I know what a what a great interview that was. <laughs> um, let's see. Up next, uh, we'll we'll skip over the quote-unquote cover on uh, The Elder, because in the end, no KISS members actually played on the track, but that would have been um, Odyssey. But uh, on Creatures of the Night, another track that was Kissified, Rock and Roll Hell, which was originally done by Bachman Turner Overdrive. Canuck Band, yeah, with a Jim Valen sort of connection. Um, yeah, you know, listen... Creatures of the Night, to me, is one of the greatest Kiss albums ever. Significant right. because after The Elder, they lost their entire fan base almost. I mean, we're talking 90% of the people went, okay, we're done, goodbye. And they needed to come back with not only a rock record, but a killer rock record. And that's right. Creatures of the Night. And... Uh, Rock and roll hell fits in. It fits into the whole thing. I mean, they're, they're these creatures of the night, and it's a rock and roll hell. Thematically makes sense. The song is a good song. Hey, kudos to Kiss for that one. I love the album. Yep. My all-time favorite album by far by the band. Uh, that Eric Carr drum sound has a lot to do with that. And... Um, Interestingly enough, if you see the quote-unquote uh, vintage Creatures of the Night t-shirts that they do sell, the back of it does say Rock and Roll Hell Tour, um, which is an apropos name for that tour because, as you had mentioned, 90% of the fan base did bail, so they were playing to 
in some instances, only 300 people during that tour. So, uh, great album, crappy tour, I guess. Well, I saw the Creatures of the Night tour, and I thought it was fine, but I also remember being at the uh, Montreal Forum, and, you know, here's a place where I had seen Kiss in 79, I had seen Cheap Trick in 1980, and a bunch of other shows, and, you know, a show was always 18,000 people, and all of a sudden you're at the Montreal Forum for Kiss, and I don't know, there might have been 3,500. I mean, the place was empty, and it was like, what the hell's going on here? Yeah. I remember the day of the show in the Montreal Gazette, the local newspaper, it said, H. Fraley will not be part of the show tonight because he got injured in a car accident or something. And it's like, oh, he gets injured the night before? I mean... <laughs> Thank God there was no internet back then because we would have known six months in advance that Ace had left the band and all that rigmarole. But yeah, what a what a great album! And uh, you know, uh, by the way, you mentioned the Eric Carr drum sound. By far the best drum sound ever on a Kiss album. If right. You could take that drum sound and put it on Carnival of Souls which has absolutely no drum sound at all. It doesn't even peak the meters when you put it in your, in your stereo. Right. It would have, would have made that carnival of souls album so much better. Silly, you know, boy, it just tells you how important drum sounds are it really does. Yeah. And funny enough, you know, I've heard demos after creatures of the night where they are experimenting with the same sort of sound and when you listen to the demo and then you listen to what ended up on the actual track or on the actual album, you think, wow, why didn't they, you know, go for that over the top drum sound that really drove the bottom end and really sort of added a lot of meat to these tracks. And even with uh, the, all the greatest hits albums that have come out after that, whenever you hear a remix of I Love It Loud, the first thing they do is turn the drum sound down. Yeah, I know, I know. Drives me crazy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, next, we have two tracks that um, this is the Peter Chris out of control track. You better run. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, we're actually skipping the, uh, the 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 solo tracks by uh, Ace or Peter, but you better run, which has been covered by a million people you have ace um which we sort of discussed um uh off um off the phone or before the recording um you had ace covering the move with do you and they he covered sweet with fox on the run but uh these next two tracks are sort of what came first the the chicken or the egg these are tracks that kiss demoed but they were um done by other artists before they ever found their way to uh, any official KISS release. Uh, the first of the two was demoed during the Crazy Night sessions, and that would be Sword and Stone, which was eventually done by the German band Bonfire. And then you also pointed out that Loverboy's Paul Dean also covered this track as well. And it did a really good version of it. And... Um... I got to say, I have never understood why Kiss has not put that song out on an album, especially in the day during the 80s, because, you know, in the day or back in the 80s, you know, we didn't have the Internet and stuff. 
but you know demos and bootlegs would float around either on cassette tape or there'd be a bootleg CD somewhere and that song you know it's been heard with Paul singing it and uh, Bonfire did a great version and Paul Dean did a great version and Kiss to me is better than both those bands and obviously could have knocked it out of the park Bruce loves the song Paul has spoken highly of it in the past. If not on Crazy Nights, it should have been on Hot in the Shade. It could have been, certainly could have been worked up on Revenge. And, you know, there was so many places for that song to be used. Even, even now on Monster, uh, that song could still fit nicely. And it baffles me that one of Kiss's potentially greatest songs has never been recorded by Kiss. It, it, it's it's mind-boggling. Truly is. Right. Yeah, and it makes you wonder, even with the box set, you know, why not take, you know, one of those CDs and just put out some of the better unreleased tracks or re-record them, you know, at that moment and, you know, bring them up to date or whatnot and uh, release them all together. It's not as if the diehards wouldn't buy it. Yeah, and listen... On the box set, they threw in um, uh, uh, what was that song by uh, from Crazy Nights? Um, time, well, time Traveler, right? Threw in Time Traveler. It doesn't sound like a pristine recording. It's a little scratchy and it's very demo-y sounding, but I love it. And I'm sure they must have Sword and Stone in that kind of uh, state where it's sort of a an advanced stage demo. I don't know. I don't know why they keep not doing something with that song. Maybe because Paul keeps thinking, oh, yes, we'll get around to recording it. I mean, maybe that's why, but... Could be. I, I don't know. It deserves to be out, and uh, let's hope someday, 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 someday. <laughs> and the next track that was released under similar circumstances is Hide Your Heart, which was originally put out by Bonnie Tyler, uh, Molly Hatchett had a crack at it. We discovered earlier today that Robin Beck, and there was that whole controversy with Ace Frehley releasing it at the same time that uh, Kiss was releasing it on their Hot in the Shade album. Yeah, that was really strange. First of all, what was amazing about that time in 87 or 88, 89, when Ace released it, was that the public perception was that Ace and Kiss just didn't talk. They just hated each other. And yet, somehow, Ace got his hands on a song that Paul wrote. So there must have been some kind of communication somewhere for the song to get out to Ace and for the song, you know, to, to be on Ace's album, to get the permission and all that. So uh, as a Kiss fan back in the day, not only we go, oh, we've got two, you know, we've got this Kiss song being done by two sort of Kiss factions. Right here, they are supposed to be hating each other and not liking each other and suing each other all day long, and yet somehow there was this like friendship where you could share a song. It, it, it really was sort of a strange, strange moment when it came out, and it also made you think, hmm, if Ace was still in Kiss, would they have let him sing this? And if they had, this is what it would sound like. Hmm, that's in you know. Never, never before had we had a chance to do that. I mean, you, you don't have a, a version of Ace doing "Shock Me" and Paul doing "Shock Me," or, or <laughs> doing "Coming Home" and and you know Paul doing "Coming Home." So this was the sort of the first time where there was these two 
independent versions of a Kiss song going around. And uh, yeah, no, that, that was really interesting. Really interesting back in the day. And a great song. Mind you, the Kiss version is better. But the Paul version is better. Right. Well, um, if I remember things correctly, I remember when this came out, it was either Eddie Trunk explaining the whole story behind the track, or maybe it was Ace on his show, um, where supposedly Gene begged Ace not to release the song on the album because they were going to use it as their lead single for Hot in the Shade. Um, and if I remember correctly, apparently the song was pitched to him was sort of, they had bought a bunch of different songs that other people had written. And this song just happened to be in, in the pile, which is what was described during that same show. And he decided to take a crack at it. And that apparently um, what Gene had said was that, or he was asking Ace if he was doing this track just to sort of get at them for whatever reason. And that he wanted to put the track out because he had loved it. So and that he didn't see any different than, um, than, than doing something like Deuce, which he felt was a, one of the strongest tracks he's ever played on. He never wrote it, but it didn't necessarily mean that he couldn't play it or that he shouldn't continue to play it. So I like both versions. Uh, They're both slightly different. Um, The Ace version also, if I'm not mistaken, has Sebastian Bach doing uh, backing vocals. I think way towards the end, I think there's some screaming, some little leftover screaming from Sebastian. Yeah. So uh, next up, a track that we discussed uh, during the Revenge special um, at uh, quite a bit of length because there's actually two different versions of this song, uh, and that is God Gave Rock and Roll to You 2, and the two is because the track has actually been kissified once again uh, to sort of distinguish it from the original Argent track. Yeah, and uh, I really wish they hadn't made the effort because I just don't like that song. Never. <laughs> I've never liked that song. I will never like that song. It's to me, it is boring. It is, it is trite. It is, it's just junk. And when you take it in the context of the Bill and Ted Excellent Adventure soundtrack, you go, oh, okay, a new Kiss song. I'm in for that. But when you put it in there with Revenge, with all the great stuff going on in Revenge, and you put this plodding, slow ugh, song in the middle, um, yeah, I'm not a fan. And um, the, the, it's, it's sort of ironic as one of the biggest Kiss fans ever that the one song I don't like, they recorded twice, once with Eric Singer on drums and once with uh, Eric Carr on drums. Like, right. Great. <laughs> Thank you. Pre- <laughs> And of course, on the 2004 tour and other tours, it was like the closing song in the encore. So you're like, ah, oh, you know, the Kiss show's ending. Here's the big hurrah. And then you get that song pulled out at you. Right. <laughs> Interesting, interestingly enough, excuse me, uh, after finding out that there was an additional song that was left off of Revenge, how much more did you despise this song? A lot, because um, the song is Do You Want to Touch Me Now? And according to Bruce, 
It's a fantastic Kiss rocker. It should have been on the box set. It's probably better than some of the songs that actually made it onto Revenge. And I'm thinking, there's a Revenge era song that's better than the Revenge era songs, and it's not been released. Yeah, it's, it, that drives me crazy. And you know, the other song, uh, "Do You Want to Touch Me Now," you, you've got the guy from Skid Row who who worked on it. You've got Bob Ezrin who worked on it. You've got Paul Stanley who worked on it. And then you get an Argent cover. I mean, <laughs> even who the hell was an Argent? No. Here you've got a song that Bob Ezrin and Paul Stanley collaborated on, sitting in a vault somewhere. No, it makes no sense. No, no, I can't. I can't stand it. Go away. Go away, song. Shoo, shoo. You know. Well, wasn't Russ Ballard in Argent? Did did they have like a um, some sort of a discount to uh, purchase his songs? Because I mean, you know, this would have been the second time. Uh, that they would have covered one of his tracks uh, outside of the uh, New York Groove, which we'd mentioned a little earlier on. Uh, my maybe biggest they bought they bought his uh, publishing from bankruptcy court. Who knows? Could be. I mean, the, the stranger things have happened. Um, having a uh, big uh, you know money making machine that you have with Kiss, all that is possible. And of course, Russ Ballard crops up in the Kiss history books again with his uh, Into the Night song, or In the Night, which Ace covered as Into the Night in, uh, what was it, 87, I guess? Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, as the expression goes, two out of three ain't bad. New York is <laughs> great. Into the Night is one of the greatest Ace songs ever, or his version. And then you get God Gave Rock and Roll to you. So listen. 66% great. <laughs> My biggest beef with that song Four. is Paul at the end, which to me, I've always said he sounds like an evangelist uh, on TV preaching at the end of the track. So, But I guess that's on purpose because it's God that gave rock and roll. I never put two and two together there. You're right. You see? Yeah, you, know, you know, by the way, speaking of with Paul and his vocals, that's one of the main, and this has nothing to do with cover songs, but one of his major problems was the elder is that his vocals sounded like he was trying to imitate Peter Pan. I mean, ha had Paul sang in a Paul Stanley voice or in a classic Paul Stanley voice, whatever that means, the elder might've been a much better album, but I don't know what he was doing. Oh, I'm just a boy. I mean, what the hell is that? <laughs> It's bizarre that whole that whole Elder album. The Elder's one of those things that, um, due to my age when it came out, I never got to listen to it. Uh, the albums that I had listened to before that was due in part um, of my brother or his friends, which were five to six years older, having them bring the albums over. Uh, I didn't hear the Elder until I was in high school, and I had. Um, sort of passed Kiss off onto um, my best friend and, and his brother. And they started collecting all the albums. And I remember the day that he brought the elder in on cassette and he said, you have to listen to this. He says, hold on a second. I have to fast forward it to this track called Just the Boy. And... Horrible. <laughs> it was. If you, if you ever look back at 
the original Beavis and Butthead um, cartoons where they listened to something where all of a sudden they sort of froze dumbified. Uh, it was that reaction from, on my behalf, hearing Paul sing like that, thinking, what the hell is going on? And now I finally understand why everyone thinks that the the Elder sucked. Uh, the only thing that I'd heard up until then was I and um, and the Oath, because I remember staying up as a kid to watch them do the tracks live on uh, Fridays. But outside of that, I thought, wow, you know, the, the rest of the track has to be, or the rest of the album has to be killer. The two songs that they played were great. So the rest of the album has to be great. Boy, was I wrong. <laughs> you know, the the one thing I would like for, for the elders is maybe at some point, you know, if Kiss ever gets into a redoing songs again, is to redo the song I. Because uh, that's another song that, that that should be played in concert or that could be played and not kill a concert. Great song, but, you know, horrible album. I mean, it, and for all the revisionists who sit there and go, oh, it's great, I always loved it, you know, it, it got BS. You didn't... <laughs> it's a cool thing to say now. Get out of here. It's horrible. Yeah, you, you can thank Lulu for that since, you know, Lulu was so good. That was Kiss's Lulu. Yeah, exactly. Oh, great Metallica's Lulu. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, and then, speaking of covers, listen, in... Um, 1995, when they went in and did the MTV Unplugged, um, they were doing, I think it was a song, uh, it was either Nothing to Lose or 2000 Men, I think it was 2000 Men, and uh, they made a mistake and they had to do a retake, and uh, right there on stage, Ace started strumming uh, Louie Louie, you know, Louie Louie, whoa, we gotta go, and the rest of the band joined in. It's not a full cover, and they weren't attempting to cover. So maybe it's best to call it. It was a Louie Louie jam, but it went on for you know a minute or so, and it exists on tape, and I've heard it, and sounds good to me. At some point. Interesting that again with the box set that they didn't release all that since there there are bootlegs of that show. Um, that I mean I've seen the bootleg posted online that supposedly has 35 tracks with retakes and everything else. I'll, I'll give you one other cover song that you may not be aware of during the recording of the alive for the symphony album. Right. One of the songs they performed that never made it to it to the album or the video was here comes the sun by the Beatles. If you ever managed to get yourself a bootleg of that full show, you will see them perform the song, but obviously because it's a Beatles song, or maybe not obviously, but probably because it's a Beatles song, they couldn't get the mechanical rights or the you know the royalties and all that figured out, or it was too expensive, or it's some, I mean, it must be something along those lines, but it never made it to the final cut, but they did play it in Australia when they did the Alive 4. Good point. That's also something that I wasn't aware of. Um, the, the one thing Beatles related that I remember, I believe it was Gene saying years ago, was that the surviving Beatles sort of had a um, 
had issues with Kiss because they were the first band that supposedly broke the Beatles' uh, gold albums record uh, in the States, that they were the first band to actually surpass them in number of gold albums. So who knows if that's actually true? Maybe they refused to allow them to put the song out. Yeah, it's true. You know, remember the the Kiss video that was put out a few years back called um, Exposed? Right. And they interviewed Gene and Paul, and Paul is like, oh, we used to stand on the street corner and play our guitars. Um, you know, in that little segment, they, they do like a Beatles song or something. Right. I forget what song it is, but technically, they covered a Beatles song, and it was released on an official release, even though it's sort of this off-the-cuff sort of nonsense but i guess we could sort of count that right right no that's that's true there's also um and it we may be talking about the same thing there's another segment where it's both of them with eric carr also doing a beatles track and i i don't remember uh what song it is but i remember the footage being black and white the thing that I think you're referring to is actually off of the Exposed DVD or VHS when that first came out, where they actually start, Gene and Paul start singing uh, in harmonies and start uh, putting, throwing lyrics out there that are utter nonsense with some other tracks as well. Yeah. So, uh, so there you go. There you go. What <laughs> songs do we have? We have two left out of the, the list that I compiled. This comes off of a Ramones tribute album, and it's Do You Remember Rock and Roll Radio? Yeah, great song. And, you know, I've, I've asked often who plays on it, and it seems to be somewhat mysterious, but I think at the end of the day, the answer was Eric Singer plays uh, drums on it, Paul... I think handled the bass and the guitars, and then I think Gene just lends his vocals, and so it's sort of a three-man Kiss crew. But even that, I don't know if that's a hundred percent accurate. But as far as I know, when they did that cover, there was no Bruce and no Tommy on it. It was it was sort of this put-together thing. Um, I love that track. That's a great track. I mean, talk about a track that Kiss. Uh, made their own and, and could could throw on a, an album like Sonic Boom or Monster or or keep it for some other thing. Um, yeah, it, it actually it appears on one Kiss album. Did you know that? On what Icons or one of the other greatest hits? It appears on the single disc version of Kiss Alive for the Symphony. Ah, no kidding. Yep, it's the bonus track on the single disc. Huh. Okay. Yeah, a, a song that, uh, growing up a, a Ramones fan as well, uh, was cool to hear that Kiss was actually going to cover uh, a Ramones song, and cool that it was, you know, a, a different track, that it wasn't your same old, same old type thing. And uh, remembering Paul or Gene sort of mentioning, you know, we grew up in Queens with them, we always knew them. Um, so this is sort of us tipping our hats to them and uh, sort of also um, saying that, hey, you know, the lyrics to this song to this song really applies to us as well. We were, you know, we grew up in the same generation and we did those same exact things, you know, um, 
go to bed at night, sort of hide under, you know, the pillow with the uh, transistor radio to hear, you know, the Dave Clark Five or the Beatles or whatnot, you know. So I remember them saying, you know, yes, we are putting our spin on it, but we also want to sort of acknowledge the band and we want to also acknowledge that we're part of that generation. So the lyrics do really apply to where we came from. Yeah, I see. So that's another great one. Um, yep. What else do we got? The last one has never officially been released, but um, due to various discussions that I've had with you, I know that you have quite a few of the live or a live 35 CDs that were released a few years back. And I actually saw them play this track live where um, it was for their first encore for the show that I saw. They actually uh, did the Who's Won't Get Fooled Again. They play the track uh, probably about 75, 80% through, and then they segue into Lick It Up after that. Right. Yeah, great song. And, you know, um, if if there's one band that Kiss really sounds like or, or that they took from that they've never really acknowledged is The Who. I mean, uh, you know, the Kiss have some of the harmonies or tried to have the harmonies of the Beatles, but they always had sort of the crunch of The Who, which is essentially the Beatles on steroid. And, uh, yeah, boy, wouldn't that be a fun cover for them to do? Absolutely. I was surprised that they didn't release it uh, with Sonic Boom because it was so cool to hear them play it live. It was such a surprise. And being that that tour was almost exclusive over here in Europe, I was surprised that there wasn't more done to um, release that. So um, who knows? May maybe in the future. Uh, we'll be able to to hear that on some sort of album. And uh, actually, there's one cover that we did miss that actually just came to mind out of the blue. Um, there's actually a uh, Wendy O. Williams track. Right. Well, yeah, I guess it is in a sense. But <laughs> uh, hit hit me with your best shot. Let's 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 go. Yeah, the the Wendy O. Williams track is uh, It's My Life, which was, for all intents and purposes, Kiss backing up Wendy O. Williams because you had Gene producing and playing bass on all the tracks. You had Paul doing backing vocals on quite a few tracks, and I believe he lent some guitars on there. You have Eric Carr playing on at least one track and doing backing vocals on a bunch. Uh, Ace plays the solo for Bump and Grind, even though he was officially out of the band. And you have Vinnie Vincent co-writing two tracks and doing the solos on both of those tracks as well. So for all intents and purposes, it was, you know, it was almost like the album that came out between the Elder and Creatures of the Night that, uh, that could have been a Kiss album, but was, I guess since Gene was... Uh, dating Wendy O. Williams, it became a Wendy O. Williams album. And the track later on uh, appeared on the box set with uh, alternating vocals between, uh, um, I guess it was, um, Peter doesn't sing lead vocals, but Ace appears in one verse. Um, Gene and Paul sort of um, go back and forth with the 
versing course as well. So uh, they did dig it up, and hopefully this is something that we could see with some of these other tracks that we've discussed as well. Well, it was um, it was re-recorded, as far as I remember, for the um, Psycho Circus sessions. Right. So yeah, they got them. They got them all on there, and there is one album or, or one song you forgot or or it hasn't been released yet but kiss also did uh they're supposed to appear on that paul mccartney tribute album called kisses on the bottom that's coming out well it was supposed to already be out and it keeps getting delayed but kiss is uh, has done that beatles song which is uh, what is the name of the song but anyway Let's not dwell on, on, on important details. <laughs> that, uh, they're on that Paul McCartney tribute album that's supposed to be out either at the end of this year or early next year. That'll also feature Alice Cooper and Billy Joel and Steve Miller and a bunch of other people. So I'm looking forward to seeing what um, Kiss actually doing a Kiss or, or a Beatles cover is going to sound like. And I'm assuming that uh, the four members that are in the band now will be the the ones that have recorded that. Yeah, absolutely. It was um, well. This was first talked about either in 2010 or 2011, and uh, it's supposed to be out, and it keeps getting delayed for some reason. But um, hopefully soon. Why Why are the tribute albums so difficult? Uh, to come out. I mean, I remember when Kiss My Ass came out, there was talk about lawyers getting involved and labels and things like that. You would think that it would be easier for, you know, someone to pay homage to someone that influenced them. Yeah, but, you know, listen, especially back in the day, um, you know, the Beatles don't own their own publishing. So you want to do a Beatles cover, then you got to get, you know, Michael Jackson's estate into it. And then you got to get all these other writers and EMI and all this. And and then you got to get um, the label to agree. You know, let's just say Universal Music owns Kiss as a band. And they say, well, we don't want our artists appearing on a Warner Brother record. Uh, and so if they do appear on a Warner Brother record, you got to pay us and then I mean, it just it just becomes this whole complicated exercise of, you know, who can outgun who and who can get you to pay the most here and there. It's it, it's a mess. I mean, it's a complete mess. And, um, you know, then you got to pay your all, all kinds of different royalty. You got to pay mechanical rights and this and that. And you got to get lawyers involved. Can the tracks be used on soundtracks? Can the tracks be used in compilations? Can and all this nonsense has to be figured out. And so these things get delayed and delayed and delayed. And when you're talking about a guy like Paul McCartney or the Beatles, where, you know, a tribute album could be a cash cow, everybody wants to get their hand in the pie, right? Right. It just makes it absolutely uh, impossible to get these things out in any kind of quick manner. And, I mean, you look at the Ramones, the Ramones didn't make that much money. There was all kinds of, uh, you know, they didn't have a great record contract and stuff. So when people say we want to do a Ramones cover, you know, that catalog is not generating a lot of money. So they all went, yeah, 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 please get it out quickly. Yes, yes. <laughs> Whereas the Beatles don't need that. And, you know, the Beatles in particular, uh, I've heard 
time and time again that, um, you know, Yoko Ono is not in favor of having stuff released too quickly. So, you know. Great. The uh, pioneer um, or the person that laid the blueprint for um, Courtney Love. <laughs> yeah, she, isn't she great? Yeah. Um, is there any track that you've heard over the years that you thought Kiss would do an absolute great job covering? A track that Kiss should do and cover? Yes. I, I have thought of that in the past, but let me think just off the top of my head. Um, wow. Um, you know, uh, I, I, I did enjoy the version of Here Comes the Sun when Paul sang it. Um, I'd like to see sort of Kiss cover Kiss in the sense that back on the Unplugged or the uh, convention tour of 95, Paul took it upon himself to sing Shock Me. I would certainly love to hear uh, uh, Paul doing Shock Me. Um, that, I think that would be sort of Kiss covering Kiss. I think that would be interesting. But, uh, wow, what band should, what song should Kiss cover? Um, that's a tough one. You know, Paul has doodled with Stairway to Heaven, maybe getting... Uh, one of the greatest songs in rock history covered by Kiss that you probably couldn't go wrong with that. Do you think they'd ever put out um, an album, you know, a tribute album of their own where they're covering say 10 groups that influenced them or 10 groups or 10 songs that, you know, they've sort of picked up along the way that they absolutely love. Uh, wait, wait, should should Kiss sort of do a covers album? Is that sort of the question? Yes. Yeah. Um, no, I don't think Kiss should should ever do a covers album. I think Kiss should, you know, have some covers. Or if they do an album like that, maybe put an album where you collect "Is That You" and then the original version. You collect uh, "Then She Kissed Me" with the original version, or, or 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 something like that. Some kind of thing where they put all the the covers they've done together and. And maybe other artists who covered them on there, sort of another Kiss My Ass. Right. But, you know, Kiss was always about leading the pack and not about following the pack. And I think one of the main complaints through the 80s was that Kiss started following Bon Jovi rather than having Bon Jovi follow Kiss. You know what I mean? And right. I don't think right now as they're trying to reestablish themselves with, with Tommy and Eric, as being this unit making new music that, that it would be a smart move, at least not at this point. I, I think maybe one cover on an album would make sense, but I don't think at this point the whole thing would make a lot of sense. Okay, perfect. Now, I do want to correct one mistake. Kisses on the Bottom is a, a, a traditional covers album that Paul McCartney himself just put out, but there is an album that's supposed to come out as a tribute to Paul that features Alice Cooper, that features Kiss. It's been talked about for many years, and it still hasn't seen the light of day. So hopefully, at some point, it'll come out. So hopefully, we'll we'll, uh, we'll hear that. If if not uh, on that album, hopefully in some sort of uh, box set that's released in the future. Yeah, you see, I just looked up a press release on it, and it's uh, 
dated from February 2012, and it says, blah, 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 a whole bunch of musicians will be giving Paul McCartney an all-star tribute album featuring B.B. King, Willie Nelson, Kiss, The Cure, Bron why is The Cure on this list? Uh, Alice Cooper, Steve Miller, Hart, Jeff Lynne, et cetera, et cetera. So sounds like a great lineup, well, except for The Cure. So hopefully someday this will come to pass. Maybe it'll be a Christmas album this year. Who knows? That's the first thing that came to mind when you started reading off that list. I said, almost guarantee that they're holding that back for sometime in November. Yeah. Boy, I really wish it would come out soon. <laughs> make, make it come out. Make it come out. to the Mars Attack Podcast. Here is your host, Victor. Let's get it up. King of the Nighttime World. Whoever thought that there would be a connection between the Runaways 
and Kiss. Well, there you go. Runaway's manager, Kim Fowley, wrote that song before it was Kissified. want to thank Mitch for coming back on and providing such great, great comments. Mitch is a great guy. love talking to him about almost always Kiss. Or if we start talking about another topic, we always wind up back on Kiss somehow. So there you go. Hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. I want to thank all of you for listening. Remember, you can check us out on iTunes. Uh, you can check us out right on the homepage, MarsAttacksRadio.com. Subscribe on iTunes. Leave a comment on iTunes, please. <laughs> Just so you help us with our positioning on iTunes. Write us. Let us know what you think of the show as well. And keep track of us on all the great social networks. Again, go to MarsTheTaxRadio.com and find out all that great stuff. We have a, a bunch of cool interviews coming out in the next few weeks. We should have Charlie D'Angelo of Beggars and Thieves and Arch Enemy on the next podcast. After that, look for Udo, Udo Dirk Schneider of the band UDO and Accept. And we will have a new classic albums column to wrap up the month of April. So hope you guys check all that great stuff out and enjoy all of it. Uh, We're going to leave you with a track off of Unmasked. It is a track that I've always liked. Um, Been poo-pooed for the album being so sugary, but... Again, had the album have had better production and maybe better songwriting because there are some songs on there that drive me nuts. But um, perhaps this song could be played in the set or at least at the, you know, Kiss Cruise. This is Is That You coming off of Unmasked. Thanks for listening and see you next time right here on the Mars Attacks podcast.
Thank you for listening to the Mars Attacks Podcast. To keep up with the show or go back and check previous podcasts, go to MarsAttacksRadio.com or subscribe via iTunes. You can follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Mars Attacks Radio. Mars Attacks Radio. Mars Attacks Radio. Mars Attacks Radio.